Hey, Father Church, good morning. I'm Daniel Wagner, the college and young adults pastor. Thank you for joining us in the house this morning, joining us online. Really excited to be wrapping up this series that we are calling an introduction to wisdom. You watched that video, you've seen it for a couple of weeks now, and uh, this is the last week that someone not named Robert Green is preaching on the stage, so RG's back next week, and if some of you have asked, and he's doing well, he's right there. So no COVID, no scare, there you go, Robert Green in the flesh. But uh, excited to be wrapping this up. John Wood did a great job week one talking about the wisdom of the word, how God's word is an authority for us and should be the guiding force in our life. Nick Crawford last week did a great job talking about the wisdom of a quiet life, a concept that I love that's really ministered to me in a deep way, just being content and faithful where God's placed you while seeking to honor him in all that we do. And this week I'm talking about the wisdom of rest. So the last time I preached, Robert gave me a passage on uh, sexual integrity, and I got a little heated up here, and things got a little testy, and now I'm telling you we should take naps. So this is an easier assignment for me. Happy to be up here today. But here's the deep irony for me is, honestly, this is something that I'm, I'm just not good at. You know, whenever I think about getting up here and teaching the Bible or talking to people about what God is doing in my life and their life, I really want to practice what I preach in a lot of ways. I just want to be sincere. I think that that's the mark of a Christian in a world that's so fake and in a world that's really uh, aimless sometimes. We can be whole, sincere, intact people. And I just want to stand up here and say, hey, look, I'm still figuring this out. I am not good at slowing down. And you probably aren't either. Just taking a guess. I know a lot of you, but I don't know all of you. and, And you're probably not great at slowing down. And the irony I think we've all experienced in these last couple of weeks, months, in this COVID season is that when things got slower, it really felt like the pressure mounted. It really felt like things got more intense, more serious. Sure, a lot of us worked from home, but where's the, I'm working from home and I'm living in my home balance. We spent a lot of time with our people and around our people but did we really take time to make sure we were enjoying restful activities with those people? So even Thanksgiving, what you probably experienced uh, a couple of days ago, you thought would be super restful. And for some of you, boy, were you wrong. You had in-law drama. You had the expectation of a terrible football game that lots of us witnessed yesterday. There are just things that were hanging over your head, maybe work that you left undone the day before or thinking about how to finish out the year. A day where we're supposed to be thankful and we're supposed to rest. We, we just can't do it. When you look online, you open Twitter for a little while, someone in your office probably does this too, sends you life hacks and efficiency tips. And it's all about doing more better and being the best you can while working with the little that you have. And I just want to tell you here, this is not uh, one more thing for you to do. I'm not up here trying to say, hey, I'm working on resting and you need to work on resting too. But I'm going to point to some places in scripture that I think will help us look at this issue of why we don't rest and how weaving rest into everything that we do, every corner of our life can make us better for the times that we do work, the times that we are with other people and will set us up for a long life of faithfulness. I'm a young guy. I want to get this right because I want to be around for a while and I want to enjoy my life. (laughs) The life of a believer is an abundant life. One that's life to the fullest. That's what Jesus promises. And rest helps us get there. Now, look, the problem is not work. The opposite of rest is not uh, necessarily work. Like, uh, I think the opposite of rest is, is idleness, and we'll get to that later. But 
we are, uh, we're so busy as a culture, like I said, but God created work in the garden. Before the fall, we were intended to do work. But when Adam and Eve sinned and when we were born into that sin, we've experienced this, that life is just gonna be tough. It's gonna be draining. It's gonna be taxing. Let's put Genesis 3 up on the screen. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Just thought I'd start us off with a real happy verse here. That life is going to be tough, that you're going to work, that there are going to be thorns and thistles in the things that you do. Now, I'm going to use work a lot, vocational work, because it's easy. That's the thing that creeps into our mind in this work-from-home, side-hustle, gig economy that we live in. But there are other areas of your life where you are not resting in and with your family, in and with your friends. You know what areas of your life are exhausting, not because there are a lot, but because you're not carving out time to slow down and to rest in a way that God's called you to. You are better for it, and I want to convince you of that in the remainder of our time by showing you four biblical elements of rest, and they all start with R. And it's four, not three, because, you know, Three is like the standard preacher thing. I'm trying to go right above that. So four, and they all start with R. Here's the first one. Rest brings rejuvenation. I didn't know how to spell rejuvenation before this started, and I think that's right. But rest brings rejuvenation. What is that? It's something that gets put back into us, right? It's this concept of us being tired, slowing down, taking rest, and being rejuvenated. We pour out, something comes back into us. Paul writes about that concept of having a cup that's full and that overflows. If there's a cup, that means the cup can be empty. And you get that. You feel like your life probably has an internal gas tank. And it's probably for all different areas of your life. In your friendship, you might feel full or empty. In your vocation, you might feel full or empty. But there are thorns and thistles in all that we do. The way we spend our time, we are going to have resistance. And that means we need to be rejuvenated. We need something to go back into us. And that's what rest gives. And God's the one who invented naps. God's the one who invented sleep. God's the one who invented vacation, right? All these great ideas, all these things that we love to do that put back into us. God's the author and creator of every good thing. So for us to think, oh man, I want to be hard and and like work hard at all that I do. And I want to honor God. And that means never stopping. I don't think that's right. We wear down because we are finite humans, fallen creatures with limits. And this rejuvenation is something pouring back into us. Now I'm gonna show you a picture. I don't have much lifetime experience with this, but this is part of Chernobyl. A nuclear reactor went uh, super array there. There was uh, two things that happened, and I think it's a great picture. For my life, I think about this sometimes whenever I think that I'm going to go nuclear, right? This went nuclear, you can go nuclear in your life. When all you do is redline, when you do too much, you don't rest, you push yourself to the end of your limits, you can be like this nuclear reactor and you can go nuclear as well. Here's what happened. There was some uh, not well-kept up machinery. There was some machinery that was neglected, was not maintained, 
And there were some precautionary steps that were passed over in a routine test. And it resulted in significant loss of life and significant stigma in this place. And just like that reactor, we can go nuclear. And it's probably in the same way. You got areas of your life that you're not taking care of. You have secret, hidden sin. You have an obsession with yourself or an obsession with something that's unattainable. You want more. And you're willing to do whatever it takes to get it. But rest is something that brings us back and makes us full. Do not skip over the safeguards in your life. Take care of your equipment, your internal equipment, your soul, your heart, your mind. Find rejuvenation from the Lord. When I think about a passage, I think about 1 Kings 17. I'm not going to put it up because ironically, I preached 1 Kings 17 a little while ago. But it's this picture of Elijah, the prophet, in the desert. And there's a painting uh, by a classic American painter whose last name's Alston This just gets me because I look at this painting and I think, okay, yeah, this is very classical, very nice. But it's this idea that Elijah goes and he tells this wicked king, hey, it's not going to rain in this land for three and a half years. And then what does God tell him to do? Go to the desert and hide and rest. Now, we don't know much about Elijah before he goes and confronts Ahab. We, We know that he was a prophet, so that implies that he was doing prophetic things before. So he'd he'd done some degree of work before. But this is really at the start of his recorded public ministry. And it's just ironic to me, I think, sometimes that the first thing this guy would do is go and deliver a hard word and then go and take a nap. But this is what God called him to do. He was putting something back into him to prepare him for the next thing. And I love this painting because this is how it feels for us sometimes whenever we rest. The second picture is a little more zoomed in. You might not have even been able to see Elijah in that first picture because of the contrast. So the way that this painter, Alston, painted this, he said uh, that he wanted to contrast the bleak landscapes and the dark tones because that's how we feel sometimes when we feel abandoned, when we feel like we're at rest, when we're sitting on our hands and we're watching the world go by. We feel like that. God, I want to get back in the game. God, there's this to do and there's this to do and I have all these things on my plate and you've put them there and I I know that I'm supposed to do them because I'm supposed to be faithful. You want me to work hard. You want me to take care of my family. You want me to do all this. So that means I can never stop. I can never stop. I always got something to do. I can never stop. And when we go to a place where we rest, we often feel like this. We feel neglected. We feel like we're being told to sit on our hands. But if you know this passage, you know that ravens brought to Elijah bread and meat, and he brought it twice a day, which I think is a contrast to the Israelites in the desert being provided for once a day. God over-provided, abundantly provided for Elijah in this rest, and that's what he does for us in our rejuvenation when we slow down. A passage we're going to put on the screen, screen Psalm 127. I love this. Uh, If you were here at Child Dedication a couple of weeks ago or you've dedicated a child previously, we use part of this passage, so it's no irony to me that a passage that talks about sleep talks about having children. As the parent of a toddler, that's where I am right now. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. It's in vain that you rise up early and go to late, go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. 
Now, this is not a passage to say that if you have insomnia, God doesn't love you. That's not what I'm doing here. That's not what this passage says. But it pairs this idea of anxious toil. I gotta do this, I gotta do this, I gotta do this, I gotta make sure this thing care of, I gotta do this. And deep, restful sleep that a life submitted to God gives. He is our rejuvenation. I wanna be practical as much as I am theological in this because I'm telling you, I'm working on rest in my own life. I really am. And this has been a tool that's been super helpful for me. Rick Warren, who's a pastor out in Cali, he wrote The Purpose Driven Life, which is a, a remarkable bestseller. He has this system for rest and resting to find rejuvenation, and I love it. It's been great for me as I've used it for the last couple of years. Divert daily, withdraw weekly, abandon annually. Divert daily, withdraw weekly, abandon annually. So what does this mean? Divert daily. Find time every day to carve out by yourself. I would say in spiritual discipline, in reading the word and praying and reflecting on who God is and what he's done. You divert, you get away daily to withdraw weekly, to have something that is like a Sabbath. We'll get into the concept of a Sabbath in a little bit. Rest goes beyond that. So I don't want you to hear me use Sabbath later and only think that I'm calling you to have a slow, sleepy, reflective Sunday. I think that's important. I think it's essential. But weaving rest into all of your life is gonna be much more fruitful for you. But to have an intentional day of the week where you do slow down, you slow down, and you seek investment from the one who holds all things together and wants to put life back into you. And then abandon annually. Have a time. I'm not saying that you got a jet set to the other side of the world, but have a time where you can reflect on a year and look back at what God's done and look forward to what he's going to do in a purposeful way. Divert daily, withdrawal weekly, abandon annually. That has been life-giving to me. And let me sell you on the value of a Sabbath, particularly, which is God's uh, ordained way to carve out for his people a time where we are forced to slow down and reflect on him. There's a picture on the screen of two pioneers. That's Phoebe, and that's uh, her name, his name, thank you, Holden Judson. Phoebe Judson is like the mother of a town in Washington. She's been really celebrated by a lot of people. Her husband's just chilling there, kind of being the second man. This is what happened to them. They uh, were pioneers. And when I think about pioneers, I think about us earlier this year in COVID. We were all baking bread, and we thought we were going to die if we didn't have enough toilet paper. And I realized we would be really bad pioneers. We weren't made to be pilgrims in 2020. We're too soft. I know I'm too soft. But Phoebe and Holden were on the Oregon Trail, and they went, like so many others, to start a new life At the end of America, they ultimately settled in Washington Territory. Let me read this to you. This is an account of her autobiography. It goes like this. In May of 1853, Phoebe Judson and her husband Holden joined a covered wagon train near Kansas City, hoping to reach Washington Territory by mid-October, a distance of more than 2,000 miles over the rough Oregon Trail. Like all wagon trains, they elected a captain, and his word was the law. They chose a man, Reverend Gustavus Hines. They don't make names like that anymore only to be surprised one Saturday night when he announced the train would never travel on Sundays. Phoebe was shocked they had half a continent to cross at oxen pace, which is about 15 or 20 miles on a good day and a good trail, with at least four mountain passes and innumerable river crossings ahead of them. She sat in her wagon and she fumed. One family deserted their train and joined another. 
On the first Sunday, while they stood still, one train after another passed them by. But being the daughter of a minister herself, Phoebe felt they had no choice but to honor their captain's scruples. They started out again on Monday, bright and early, only to reach their first river cross on Tuesday evening. A long line of wagons stretched out ahead of them, waiting for the single ferry to carry them across. They waited there for three days. On Saturday, they resumed their journey, only to be told that they would still rest the whole next day. So naturally, Phoebe was upset. This made absolutely no sense to her. Still, the minister's daughter obeyed their captain. Then, a few weeks later, she began to see scores of dead oxen, mules, and horses along the way. They'd been driven so relentlessly that they had collapsed and died. She grudgingly admit that perhaps the animals needed a day of rest. A few weeks later, she also admitted that maybe even the men needed it too, since they walked most of the distance. Then she slowly began to notice that as they worshipped, ate, rested, and even played together on Sundays, it had a remarkably salutary effect on people's spirits. There was less grumbling, more cooperation. She even noticed that they seemed to make better time in the other six days. Finally, what totally sold her on the value of Sabbath happened one Sunday evening. The family that deserted them came limping into their campsite, humbly asking to rejoin them. She'd assumed they were at least a week ahead, but in fact, they'd fallen behind. Their own wagon trade had broken down, so of course they welcomed them back. And when they reached their destination, it was in plenty of time, as friends, and out of the 50 head of cattle that they started with, only two were lost. We are better for resting. We have to slow down. Realizing your limits is essential. That leads us to our next point. Not only does rest give us rejuvenation, it gives us reflection. It's a way for us to look back and to look forward and to have right perspective and right priority. I don't know if you're like me, but when I am overwhelmingly busy, when I run myself into the ground, I don't do much thinking. I don't do much reflecting. But the Sabbath and rest gives us an opportunity to look back, and that changes how we move forward. I want to put two passages together, one in Hebrews and one in Genesis, that I think really give us this idea of deep reflection in a way that makes us whole and makes us better for it. Let's look at Genesis 2. This is the beginning, uh, sorry, the end of a creation account. Uh, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, all of the host of them. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day, from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So what does this mean? Is God tired here? No. God is infinite. He's all-powerful. But he rests, and in God's rest, it's him looking at what he'd done and saying, it is very good. God was content He was pleased with where he was and what he had accomplished. I'm just telling you, I I don't do that well. I can't look back and go, man, did a great job at work this week. Did a great job in this friendship. Doing a great job in my marriage right now. Feel like I'm being a good dad. I feel like there is always something undone. And because of that, what do I do? I don't rest. And what happens? I'm worse for it. But when we see that the most significant things have been accomplished by Jesus once for all on the cross, 
that frees us. Let's look at Hebrews 4, another passage about rest. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Has also rested from his works as God did from his. So what does this mean? What does this do? Let's put these two passages together. God was pleased with what he did so he could rest and reflect and model rest for us. But when we feel like we're not enough, when we feel like we're not good enough, when we feel like we can justify ourselves by the amount of work we do or the good person that we are, there is never enough good we can do to quiet that inner voice, to say that we are good enough. Only in Jesus is that voice quieted, and only in Jesus is the work behind work finished. We've got to get to a place, you've got to get to a place, I've got to get to a place where I can say these things. It is enough, and I am enough. It is good enough, because he is good enough. The deep, significant things in your life are met by Jesus Christ on the cross. And that should free you from workaholism. And that should free you from feeling like you always owe someone something. Your debts have been paid. Your work has been accomplished. Now, this should not make you lazy. It should not make you apathetic. It should make you a harder worker, but in a way where you don't feel like you've got to do it all by yourself. In a way where you don't feel like you're the one that all significance hangs on. That is a heavy load for someone made out of dust. That's the load only a God can carry, and he did. The third R is recreation. This is where it gets fun. Recreation. Now, let's uh, go to third grade here and do some English here. Recreation is this idea that you are recreating. Recreation. So it's us putting things back into ourselves, just like rejuvenation fills us up again. That's what recreation does. We image God. We model ourselves after him as he's one who created things. So when we enjoy life, enjoy friends, enjoy hobbies, the things that we do, man, we, we image God in that. And here's what I mean by this. Let's look in Deuteronomy 5. This is 12 and 15 because this section where God prescribes the Sabbath again for the Israelites uh, it's very, very wordy. In fact, in the translation that I read, the ESV, there are 165 words that describe this, the fourth commandment, and only 65 words that cover the last five commandments. It's almost as if God is saying that a soul that's rested in him is the best prescription against murder and theft and lying and covetousness. But this is what Deuteronomy 5 says, observe the Sabbath day, keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So for these people who were descendants of people who lived generations of slavery in Egypt, God delivered them and took them out 
And in that, he said, hey, look, you were a slave, and I set you free. Slaves don't get days off. Slaves don't get days off. So God instituted this rest, instituted this reflection in a way that would have been revolutionary for these people. Because they were captive, they were being told what to do. And for once in their life, when God saved them to keep the Sabbath out of slavery, they could reflect and they could rest and they could be content and they could be better for slowing down. Slaves don't get days off. And I'm looking out here, this is America, no one's a slave. No one, no one owns you regardless of how you feel about your boss. You're not a slave. But you're probably a slave to something. What are you enslaved to? Is it constantly working on your image? Is it being a hard worker? Is it this quest for money? What are you a slave to? What controls you? And as long as that thing controls you, as long as you've not allowed God to set you free from that thing, you are going to be a slave to it. And it is going to rule your life. And you will not rest. When you do rest, here are three suggestions I found this week from a pastor uh, that kind of describes a good frame of mind to think through when you think about rest. It would be hard to do all three of these at the same time. If you find an activity that encompasses those, let me know. But do something avocational, as in not related to your job, contemplative and inactive. Do something avocational. So avocational is obviously not related to your job. Again, third grade English, avocational, not job. So yesterday, I hung sheetrock in my house. That is not restful, but it is avocational. We're looking for both here, people. I didn't get any rest out of that because I'm not a sociopath. Look at me. I'm obviously not good at construction-y things. I don't even, I just said construction-y things. Avocational. That's what you want. You want something that is going to take your mind out of what you do to show you that you're more than just your job. You're more than just what you do. You're a person made in God's image, a son and daughter. Do something not related to what you do. So if you're uh, in investments, if you're an investment maker or financial planner, don't day trade on your day off. That's not going to be good for you. If you're a fisherman, don't fish, right? Like take yourself out of what you do. Contemplative. This is, I think, honestly, for me and most of us, the the reason that we don't rest. Because we don't want to think. We don't want to reflect. We don't want to slow down. We're afraid to be with our own thoughts often, to confront inner demons. But resting is to do something contemplative, where you can think and God can begin to do great work in you. And then inactive, actually slow down. I'm a piddler. Like, sorry, I'm very from Mississippi. I just said piddle into a microphone. I just like piddle around, man. Like, I just find things to do at my house. Like, I'll like straighten this and put dishes up and that kind of thing. I could get to all that later, but I just don't. I do it then because I feel like I have to, because I don't want to slow down and I don't want to rest. Like the dishes are not crying out to me from the dishwasher. They would be fine in there. But I, I just, I've got to convince myself that when I'm inactive, it's going to be restful. 
avocational, contemplative, inactive. Again, I want to be practical. Between that and divert daily, withdrawal weekly, abandon annually, you guys can't say that I didn't help you. Restraint is the last R as we round towards home. Restraint. Rest brings restraint. What do I mean by that? What is that? We are forced to slow down. You can do more. Man, humans are remarkable creatures. Yes, we're made of dust, but I know a lot of you, man, you are high achievers. You love your family well. You love your neighbors well. You serve in a remarkable capacity. There's a lot of us who want to be like that. We, we buy into the cultural narrative that we can sleep when we're dead. We want to be high achievers. I think God is honored in that. But a life of restraint is so important in the believer to realize that we have got to be gentle with ourselves, that often we're damaged goods that God is making whole again. Let's look at this passage together. As a father shows compassion to his children, the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For God knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like the grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it's gone. And its place knows it no more. This is a fascinating passage. I love it because these two things get paired together here. God's great love for us, his great compassion for us, that he's moved to love because of who we are and because of his character towards us. He's like a father that loves a child. But the second half of that shows that we are so limited that like grass or flowers are there for a little while and then they're not anymore. That's people. Although we're high achieving, although we can accomplish great things, in and through Jesus, I believe we accomplish better things. We are not immortal on this world. You have a capacity, high capacity for some of you in some areas, maybe low capacity in other areas. But when you take time to slow down and hold back, God is honored in that, and you're better for it. See, I'm convinced that the believer should build rest into everything that they do. you got to build rest into what you do, or else you're going to go nuclear. You're moving past safeguards in your life. You're not taking care of the equipment that you have. You are connected to people, you are significant, you are made in the image of God, and he wants you to follow him for a long, long time. And if you're not intentional about putting rest into your life, you will not get it. I'm telling you, this is a lesson that I am learning hardly, (laughs) in a hard way. I'm hardly learning it, but it's hard for me. Like, I've had moments where Uh, the pressure of my life and the pressure of my job and the pressure of my marriage because I haven't slowed down have brought me to my knees in both a mourning way and in a way where I'm crying out to God for help. 
But don't be like me. (laughs) Be like what I want to be like. Be like the one who has rested because he's accomplished everything. This is the last Sunday of the month, and as we often do, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Excited about that. If the band will come back up, we'll walk through that together. You should have received a communion cup. It's the two-in-one, the communion lunchable, as some refer to it. I have to go get mine. I left it down here. But if you guys would stand up with me as we observe the sacrament together. We can only do this because of the one who has accomplished all the work for us. We rest in him because of what he's done on the cross. And he calls us to a life of rest. Don't worry about your crinkling. Everyone's crinkling. If you go ahead and open both parts, we'll take the Lord's Supper. Together, I'll walk us through it. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant. My blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We are thankful for you that you are for us. God, so much that you have accomplished all of our work. Lord, there's no more striving. There's no more trying to be good enough. Lord, you look at us as a father looks on his child. Lord, we are your sons and your daughters. That means that the significant work in our life is accomplished. And Lord, everything else that you've given us God, is a blessing and it's an opportunity for us to model faithfulness. God, in our work and in our family and our friendship, Lord, in our social obligations, those are all opportunities for us to be faithful, to live out the gift of life that you've given us. But Lord, so often we put those things in a higher place, a holier place, and we end up becoming enslaved to things that you set us free from. Lord God, would you free us from the things that we've wrongly elevated? Things that are relentless taskmasters. God, so often it's ourselves. Our inner voice that we can't still with your sufficiency. Lord, would you convince us that we are good enough, that our work is done. And God, because of that, could we enjoy rest? Rest that rejuvenates, that causes us to reflect that leads us to recreation and causes us to have restraint in the things that we do. Lord, we are better for it. So God, in these coming days, these coming weeks, Lord, we honor you with all that we do, but would we honor you with rest? We ask these things in your great name, Jesus.